I want to pick up this week with a message called Citizens of Heaven. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Citizens of Heaven. If you got a Bible, go to Philippians chapter three. You can make some noise this morning. The, the Lord led me to this scripture here, and I, I just want to get it out there. There is an elephant in the room and a donkey in the room. But there's also a lamb who was slain, who became the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm telling you, that cross is what unites all of us in this room and every believer around the world, whether you're an American citizen, whatever country you're from, whatever platform or agenda, we come together at the foot of the cross and we have a tribe that is that. Listen, we need to remind ourselves before we are citizens of any other country. If you're a believer, Paul says you're a citizen of heaven. In Philippians 3, verse 20, he says, we are citizens of heaven. Why was he saying this? He was saying, church at Philippi, don't get it mixed up. Remember where your allegiance lies. I know you're getting you know, worked up and maybe even confused and getting into debates with family members and friends about all the political issues, but you are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He was trying to remind them, Caesar is not your savior. Your president is not your savior. Your congressman is not your savior. Your senator is not your savior. Hey, America Church in 2020, Jesus Christ is still your savior. Don't get it mixed up. His agenda, his platform is unshakable no matter what's going on in America. I think the question I want to preach at today is, how do I live as a follower of Christ during the crazy times right now in America, and I know we have people watching from all over the world, and by the way, to every nation out there, you are valuable, you are loved, and America needs your prayers. Pray for America specifically this week. Why? Because it's election week. And, and this week, things will shift in our nation. Things will have an impact. Oh, we shouldn't talk about that. We've got to be aware of what's going on, but we don't need to be consumed as if that is the end all of our lifetime. We are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Paul says in verse 21, he will take our, our weak mortal bodies and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he brings everything under his control. Everybody say, we are citizens of heaven. What does that mean? Jesus is, you know, when he shows up in his time, he is so radical that the conservatives don't know what box to put him in. The liberals don't know what box to put him in. He's radical to everybody. Uh, he, he's, he's calling people to a peaceful way of life, but he's also calling people to a radical way of life. He's saying, when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. When someone takes your coat, give them more. If someone asks you to walk a mile, walk a second mile with them. Love people, forgive people. When people do things mean to you, treat them with kindness. Jesus was preaching this radical message. And then, you know, his followers were expecting him to overthrow the Roman Empire, to stir up a violent revolt. And he didn't do it. Instead, he lays his life down, dies on a cross, and then he leaves after he raises from the dead. And he calls his disciples to go and preach this gospel in Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's the kingdom that God's called us to be a part of, a kingdom, citizens of heaven. When Jesus first met with his followers, he said in Luke 9, verse 23, follow after me. And anyone who wants to come after me must deny himself, must deny herself and take up their cross daily. Everybody say daily. daily. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. Salvation is free. You could call on the name of the Lord and get saved like that. But following Jesus costs us something. Does the Jesus that you're following right now, American church, cost you anything. There was a group of people who wanted to be vegetarians, but they didn't want to be all in on the vegetarian thing. So they called themselves flexitarians. And what they said, no, true story. What they said is we are vegetarians, except for sometimes we eat meat. Not all the time, just occasionally. And when like meat's being served, we're not going to reject it. We will receive it. We will eat it. But other than that, we are vegetarians. So we're going to call ourselves flexitarians. In other words, we'll, we'll do it when it is easy. We'll do it when it's comfortable. We'll, do, we'll eat you know, vegetables when it's okay, when it fits with our agenda. There's people who live with that same mindset with Christianity. They live with the picking and choosing of what they're going to believe. I'll, I'll take a hamburger with no tomatoes, no lettuce. I'll take Christianity without the commitment. I'll take Christianity without the morals and the values about marriage. 
I'll say Christianity without, you know, I'm going to pick and choose because, you know, Paul, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm political. I've got a political party I'm connected to before I start diving into everything. How far are you going to follow Jesus, American church? How much are we committed to this? Well, I want, I want all the blessings. I want the blessings and the benefits without the sacrifice. I'll give as long as the economy's good. I'll be happy as long as my president gets elected. But if he doesn't, I'm out in the streets and I'm screaming and crying and moving away and I'm angry at everybody. Is Jesus your savior or is a president your savior? I came to offend everybody with the cross today. <laughs> and if you get offended, send an email to the Bible because that's what I'm preaching. John chapter 6, verse 60, Jesus said something very strong, something similar to what I just said. And it said in this moment, people were angry and offended. Disciples, people who had been with him, they were with him as long as he was feeding them the bread and the, the fish. But now once he starts preaching a message that offends them, it says they were angry. And in verse 66, at this, many of his disciples deserted him and left him. And Jesus turned to Peter and John and a couple of the, the close ones. And he said, do you want to leave too? And I love how Peter responds. He says, where would I go? You are life for me. Is Jesus life for you? Is this all like, are you all in with Jesus? Peter said, I don't care what I lose. I don't care who thinks I'm popular. I don't care how many Instagram followers stop following me. I don't care who doesn't like my post. I don't care if I lose my job or, or if I lose my reputation. You are life to me. You are everything. I want to go all in. I'm a citizen of heaven, Jesus. That's what he was calling his disciples to. Radical devotion. Radical devotion. There was a man named John Oros who preached in Romania during the communism time. And, and during, during Romania's communism time, they had very much accepted uh, Karl Marx's mindset, Marxism. And because of that, they decided to push out everything that was Christian. They shut down every church, shut down the freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And they made everyone who, uh, who was a Christian, they had to register and they would lose their jobs. And, and so there was only underground churches. Yay, socialism. No, the church was not excited about that. Why? Because they weren't allowed to practice Christianity at all. And so during this time, John Oros gets up and he speaks to this underground church, this house, and he says, um, it's good that you want to become a Christian because there were some people who said, hey, we want to get saved. And he said, it's good that you want to get saved, but there's a price to be paid. Why don't you reconsider whether or not you're ready to follow Jesus? <laughs> this wasn't one of those like, you better get saved right now. Pray this prayer. He was saying, be careful. Be careful. If you're, if you're truly ready to follow Jesus, if you want the cross, if you're ready for the cross, I feel like I just need to cling to the cross. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. People are taking bathroom breaks, leaving right now. It's okay. I answer to Jesus at the end of this service. John Oro said, if you're ready to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you. Friends will stop being your friend. Family members will disown you. You'll get demoted. You're going to lose and lose big. But if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what profit is that? Why forfeit your soul to cling to the things of this world? Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. John Oro said, if you're ready to lose, then come and follow Christ. They took a three-month class before they would make that decision in Romania. At the end of those three months, they knew what they were getting themselves into. They knew what they were signing up for. They said, we're ready for the sacrifice. We're ready. We've counted the cost. We're ready. No matter what it takes, we want Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. He said, we baptized them there on the spot. Within weeks, informants would come, jot down their names. They'd be thrown in jail. They would lose the money that they had. How far will you follow Jesus? What is Christianity to you right now? I remember when I was in college, there was this girl that I was hanging out with, and she was, she was a good friend. She was always there whenever I was going through a tough time or had a bad day, and I really enjoyed the friendship. And, and after a while, she called me and she said, hey, I think we need to have a DTR. And I said, what's a DTR? She said, define the relationship. I was like, uh-oh. She said, I'll meet you at the library in 15 minutes. 
I was like, okay. So I go to the library at Oral Roberts University, and I'm sitting there, and uh, yeah, go, who are you? And so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting in the library, and she comes in, and she says, okay, what are we? I was like, we're human. She was like, no, 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 what are we? I was like, we're friends. She was like, that's it? And I said, well, I really enjoy our friendship. You're always there for me when I'm going through a tough time. You're always... And she said, Paul, if we're not going somewhere with this friendship, if this is not headed towards a relationship, if this is not going to get serious between you and I, then you are wasting my time. Oh, it hit me. Yeah, it was like that. I was like, oh, man. I wanted the benefits of the friendship without the commitment to a relationship. That's how a lot of people are with Jesus. I want the benefits. I want the benefits of Victory Church without being committed to the belief. And you can belong here before you believe. You can belong here before you behave. You can belong in, 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 listen, I, I, I truly believe anyone can belong to a church before they have it all together. That's, that's not like what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is the longer we follow Jesus, the more we should be giving our lives to Jesus. Like if I truly say that prayer, you are Lord of my life. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If I'm not giving him my emotions, my, my mindset, my beliefs, if I'm not surrendering to his word, then what am I doing? Am I just wasting my time? Am I just playing games? Right now, there's two billion people who claim to be followers of Christ. But I wonder how much our lives would line up with our prayers. I wonder how much our life would line up with the words that we say. Jesus wanted people to count the cost. In Matthew 7, he tells a large crowd on judgment day. Anytime Jesus had a large crowd, he always like started subtracting the crowd. I think his followers were like, hey, can you calm it down? Just preach like feel good messages because we, we all came for the feel good message. But Jesus didn't care about the crowd. He wanted followers. He wasn't interested in building a fan base. He wanted followers. He wanted truly de- devoted, committed followers after him. He said on judgment day, there will be people who come to me and say, I preached in your name. I casted out demons. I went on mission church. I came to church. And he said, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Why would Jesus say that? He was saying these people have exchanged intimacy for information. They know a whole lot about me. They don't know me. They know my stories. They know Daniel in the lion's den. They know David and Goliath. They know their parents' encounters with Christ. But they don't have a personal revelation and a personal intimate relationship with me. See, Jesus doesn't want the American church living a relationship with God through their pastor. He wants the American church, the Romanian church, the Russian church, the Canadian church, the African church, the Chinese church, whatever country you're from. He wants the church, capital C church, to have personal relationships with him. Jesus came to do away with the whole idea of the priest is who talks to God for me. The pastor talks to God for me. No, God wants to talk to you. God wants you to know him. God wants you to have a revelation of his word. In the same way you get excited about hobbies and sports and celebrities and politicians and election, all these things that we get into in news channels and Netflix and episode shows, whatever it is that you love, God says, I want you to have that same, even higher love and admiration and intimate relationship with me. Is this too much? I was in Washington, D.C. this last week praying and worshiping with a large group of young people, most of them under the age that I am. I'm 35, and here they are. There was 20-somethings, teenagers, and, and, and these people were just weeping, praying in the National Mall between the Washington Monument and the Capitol Building and the Lincoln Memorial, and they were just crying out, God, we need you in America. Oh, God, we repent of our sins. Lord, we ask you to move in America, and it was powerful. It was pouring rain. It's cold outside and nobody left for four hours just weeping and worshiping and I got excited because I believe we are literally in the middle of revival in America right now. I believe Tulsa Victory Church is part of that revival. We are contending for it and it was powerful to see these people just worshiping and there was people there to criticize people there to scream at them. You bigots. Why? 
because you believe in Jesus. There was nothing political being said there. It was just all worship. It was just worshiping Jesus. Jesus said, if you truly are my disciples, there will be people who hate you because of my name. There will be people who say all kinds of evil against you, who accuse you of things that you're not because that you connect with me. But I tell you, love the world. The world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. The world will know that you are true disciples of Jesus by the way you love one another. And I'm telling you right now, we are in a test. Church, we are in a test. This week will be a test for the American church. And the world is watching. How will you respond this week? How will you respond this month? How will you respond over the next several months next year? What will we stake our life upon? I want to show you a video from that moment because these people, they just kept on worshiping. They just kept on singing. It was so powerful. I want you to see how the presence and the power of God just would not stop in that moment. Check this out. church, it was so powerful. The, the flags that were being waved throughout the field were just flags that said the name of Jesus. People were just lifting high that banner of Jesus over our nation. How many of y'all believe Jesus needs to be lifted up in our country right now? Yeah, that's who we need. That's our savior right there. God has called us to a place of full devotion to him, to lift up his name, to lift up his values, to let our hearts break for what his heart breaks for. In Philippians 1, verse 9, Paul continues on this citizens of heaven message. And he says in verse 9, this is my prayer, church, that your love will flourish. Notice that he says that your opinions will flourish. He doesn't say that. That your opinions will get bigger. He says, let your love get stronger. That you will not only love much, but you will love well. Learn to love appropriately. There's an appropriate way to love. Use your head. This is a time, church. Do not lose your head. Oh, my goodness. Don't lose your head. Don't, don't let your feelings run your mouth. Don't let your feelings run your reactions. Test your feelings so that your love is sincere. Listen to what Paul's saying. He says, live a lover's life, circumspect, exemplary, a life that Jesus would be proud of. At the end of our lives, we do not answer to the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, to a politician, to a person who's pressuring us to have the same opinion as them. We answer to Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the ultimate judge of our life. At the end of my life, I will not answer to the people who are offended by me. I will answer to Jesus. So if I offend some people, I better offend some people based on what Jesus is calling me to preach and not just my own personal opinions. So I've got to come back to this. Okay, does this line up with God's word? Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus said the cross will offend people. There will be people who think they don't need a cross. There will be people who think they don't need a savior. There will be people who think they can save themselves with good works as long as they do. Good. So if I am preaching and I am living based on this word of God, then I can stand before God and say, Lord, I lived for you. I preached what you wanted me to preach. I did what you wanted me to do. That's what Paul was telling the Philippian church. In verse 15, he says this. Go on to verse 15. He says, it's true that there are some here who preach Christ because without me, with me out of the way, they think they can step into the spotlight. They preach with the wrong motives. But Paul says, I just want the, the name of Christ to be lifted up. And then he goes to verse 27. Watch what he says in verse 27. He says, um, stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and your unity, church, will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Christ. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Three amens on that one. Yay, suffering. <laughs> Paul says this is, this is what comes with the territory. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to walk through times where it's painful. 
The cross is not a symbol of, of, you know, everything going your way. The cross is a symbol of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote during the time where he was following Jesus when Hitler was, was killing millions of Jews. He said, Christ bids us come and die. Christ bids us to come and to die, to die to our selfishness, to die to fear, to die to worry, to die to our own agenda and to allow his agenda, his platform to become ours. So Paul says this in chapter three, verse 15. Let's keep focused. Church, let's keep focused. Focused on what? CNN, Fox News, MSNBC? Focused on on Vice President Biden, President Trump? Focused on Kamala? Focused on Pence? Who should we focus on? He says, let's keep focused on the main goal. Keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus. The cross stands between it all. The cross stands above it all. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. In other words, go all in with Jesus. Go all in with Jesus. Let's stay on this track, citizens of heaven. So I want to give you real quickly seven ways to live as citizens of heaven. Number one, build your life on the unshakable foundation of Christ. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus tells this story. And he says, this wise man built his house on the rock and he put to practice everything that he heard me say. And because he put to practice everything he heard me to say, he was building his house on the rock. And then the the storms came, the rain, the wind blew and the streams rose and the house did not move because it was built on the rock. And then he says, there was a foolish man who heard my words, but he did not put them into practice. And he built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, by the way, the storm falls on the just and the unjust. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we are exempt from difficult storms. Following Jesus is going to, you're going to walk through all, if you're experiencing attacks from every side, you're following Jesus. If you're experiencing persecution, you're following. If people hate you sometimes because you believe in the word of God, you're following Jesus. If everybody loves you and everything's easy, get back in your Bible and see if you're lining up with everything God's. What I'm trying to say, Jesus says, is there are going to be hard times on both. But those who build their house on the rock, those who put this word into practice, they'll be able to stand. Those who build on the sand, it's going to fall apart. I remember in 2004 when I went to ORU and I was a freshman and I could tell people were building their life on certain things, everything going their way. Is that a firm foundation to stand on? Everything's going to go my way. Everything, I'm going to get all my prayers answered, and I'll have faith in the wild as long as everything goes my way. And then it doesn't. And I watched, even in my own life. Do I have faith when everyone gets healed? Or do I have faith even when people don't get healed? Like when my father passed away, and I prayed for his healing from cancer, and then he went to heaven. Or what about when America goes through times that are shaky. When the Roman Empire was going through shaky times in the Philippian church, they were trying to figure out where their allegiance was at, where their security was at, where their hope was at, where their happiness was at. I can trust in America, Paul. America will never let me down. I pledged allegiance to America. I, can, I know America's going to be there for me. Now, I'm thankful for everyone who's fought for this nation, but I will not idolize this nation. I will not make this nation my God. When I die, I don't go to America. I go to heaven. When you die, you don't go to America. Jesus gave us a prayer to pray, and he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a destination for all believers. Let's be careful that we don't make America a God. It's, it's good to, to vote. It's good to love your country, whether you live in America, whether you live in Canada or you live in Russia, or you live in Congo or Ghana or Tanzania. It's good to love your country, love your roots, but do not idolize your nation because it will disappoint you at some point. I wanted to make this one because I think some of us, we like this. My pastor preaching sermons that make me feel good. Let me tell you what happened today. (laughs) That's not going to work out long in this church. 
You better find a different church if you want every sermon to be feel good. And, and listen, God has not called us to a feel good, always get things our type of way. God has not called us to stake our life. Well, Paul, I can count on my family and friends. Life comes down to family, family, family. I can count on my wife. I can count on my husband. I can count on my son. I can count on my dad. I can count on my family. Family will disappoint you. Friends will disappoint you. I didn't realize that I had built my faith on my dad until he was gone. Sometimes you don't realize where your foundation is at until, until it's gone. Your job, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter. <sighs> your choice for president. As long as my president gets elected. I'll be really happy. I'll, I'll, I'll be at church next Sunday as long as my president's elected. If he's not, I'm going to be out in the streets going crazy. Oh, Paul, you're breaking my heart. No, I'm just reminding you that any foundation except Jesus is collapsible. Any foundation except Jesus is shakable. It's breakable. It's collapsible. This, 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 this will disappoint you. This will collapse. And I, I love my dad. I know he's in heaven. But I had to realize after a few months of him being gone, I had to, real, I had to come to the hard realization that I had put a lot of my happiness in him. And I watched even people leave Christianity after he passed away because they were banking everything on him. You don't realize how much you've put your security and identity and, and, and so much in people or in jobs. I remember talking to this one guy who worked at his job for 30 years. It was a good job, good paying job. He felt valuable. He felt loved. He found his identity in his job. His job meant everything to him. And then it was taken from him. The housing market crash in 2008 collapsed and it was gone. It collapsed. And he realized I had put everything on something that could not stand. That's what happens when we put our hope in that kind of stuff. That's why as citizens of heaven, we've got to remind ourselves, okay, yes, social status. Paul, I'm, I'm so like, Instagram means everything to me. Facebook, everybody likes me. I've got followers. And then they censor you. Or they remove. What's going to happen when Instagram gets removed? I don't know. Our world's going to be a whole lot better and a whole lot less toxic. That's for sure. I'm kind of done sometimes. With so I'm thankful for the opportunity. To, but I think we got to remind ourselves. We got to remind ourselves that I am not defined by my salary. I'm not defined by my popularity. I'm not defined by my family. That I've got to build a firm foundation right here. This is the only thing that will not collapse. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. As citizens of heaven, our foundation must be built on Christ. A politician did not build my life and a politician cannot steal my life. A politician did not build Victory Church and a poly, poly, poly a politician cannot steal Victory Church. Politics did not build the Tulsa Dream Center. It was a group of fully devoted followers of Jesus that rose up in 1999 and said, we're going to build something that's going to change North Tulsa. We got to remind ourselves, Christ is a firm foundation. No one who's running for public office is the ultimate solution for what ails a nation. Only God can heal America. Only God can save America. 15 of you believe it. So yes, vote, but just remember God sits on the throne next week, no matter what before, during and after this election, God has and always will be God. 
Number two, citizens of heaven carry the cross with surrender to Jesus daily. As a citizen of heaven, we're called not just to wear a cross on our necklace, but to carry a cross into our business, to carry a cross into our campus, to carry a cross into our schools. Whether you go to Jinx, Union, Victory, whatever school you're at, whatever place you go, whatever company you work for, God has called us to carry a cross. Well, is that biblical? Yeah, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus says it. Anyone who wants to follow after me must deny himself and take up their cross daily, daily. Not just once in your lifetime, but every single day to say no to self and yes to Jesus. Yes to the way of the cross. In Revelation 3, verse 16, John said that the church has become lukewarm. And because they are lukewarm, Jesus said, I will spit them out of my mouth. This is a call for Christians to get radical. This is a call for Christians to get done with the comfortable, convenient consumer Christianity. What's in it for me? How do I benefit from this? It's time to live with the sacrificial, full commitment to find your calling, to forsake your comfort, to go all in with Jesus. Jesus came to confront comfortable Christianity. He came to shake up the religious political platforms. He came to undo the systems and turn it all upside down. And that's what he's called us to do. He's called us to live with that same radical faith. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you. Number three, citizens of heaven, I want the keys to come out. Live with God's convictions, no matter the conditions or positions of the culture around you. Live with God's convictions. Live with God's convictions. What breaks God's heart? What does God have to say about life? What does God have to say about the family? What does God have to say about the church? What does God have to say about male and female? And when you hear about things and you see things in your culture, do not let the culture shape your convictions. Let Christ shape your convictions and your convictions will shape the culture around you. Daniel in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they lived during a godless time. They were Jews that had been taken captive in the Persian Babylonian Empire. And Daniel became a captive at age 15 and wrote the book of Daniel. In chapter 12, he was in his 90s when he died. He outlived Cyrus, and he outlived Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. He outlived four different kings. All of these kings, when they met Daniel, when they started off with Daniel, they were all godless None of them believed in the God of Daniel. They were perverted. They had very immoral thoughts and agendas that they wanted to take the Babylonian Persian Empire completely in a very dark, uh, demented type of, of, of culture. But Daniel didn't allow any of them to shape his convictions. He had strong convictions. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who prayed, a man who honored God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow to the golden image that had been set up. They refused to bow to the toxicity that was going on in their land. And because of their convictions, they changed a nation. They didn't allow the positions or the platforms around them to shape their convictions. Rather, they put their convictions in the word of God, in a relationship with God. It's time that we get our convictions, not from CNN, MSNBC, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We need to get our convictions from the word of God. What does God's word say? If you're a believer, you should be finding your convictions in the word of God. What is the platform of Jesus? Love God, love people. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. You fought for the vulnerable. You, you lifted your voice up for the widow and the orphan. You stood for, for what God's word stands for. You stood with truth and with grace. You fought for the unborn. You fought for those 60 million dead babies in America. God's looking for a church that will rise up and stand up with love and with truth and, and let your heart break for what God's heart breaks for. God's heart does break for the things in our nation, the things that are going on around the world. Number four, citizens of heaven, love all people with God's love, no matter how people may treat you. Love all people. It's getting really quiet. The more I preach this sermon, I just feel like more people are walking out and it's getting quieter and quieter. It's okay. God's calling me to preach it. Jesus calls us to love all people with God's love, no matter how they treat us. In Romans 14, Paul said, welcome with open arms, believers who don't see things the way you do. Welcome people with open arms. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. 
Paul goes on to say, he says, it's not your job to make it difficult for people. It's your job to love people. It's not your job to try to judge everyone. That's God's job. It's your job to love them. It's your job to treat them with kindness and respect. Who does God call us to love? All people? The president included? The vice president? The senators, the congressmen, the Supreme Court justices, everyone who's running for office. God calls us to love all people, to treat all people with kindness and respect. So I'm not following Ben Shapiro or Joe Rogan. I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm not following President Donald Trump or Vice President Biden. I'm following Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm, the more I look at you, the more I just want to hug the cross. This is where I find my identity. This is where I find my, my convictions. This is where I find my love, my forgiveness. America didn't save my life. Jesus saved my life. A president didn't break chains off me. Jesus broke chains off me. It wasn't a political group that gave me forgiveness for my sins. It was Jesus who gave me forgiveness. So I need to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want me to live like? Number five, live to give and serve as the hands and feet of Jesus wherever the need is around you. I'm not waiting on the White House to fix the problems in our nation. I am part of God's house that is called to fix the problems in my community. And if I can make an impact in my neighborhood, then I can make an impact in my nation. I'm going to live with hands and feet. I'm going to give and serve. That's number five. Live to give and serve as the hands and feet of Jesus wherever the need is around you. See a need and meet it. See a hurt and heal it. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was homeless and you brought me in. We have a calling. We have a mandate. And by the way, Victory, you are doing this. You are doing this on a weekly basis. Every time you give, you are helping meet the needs of people in this city and this nation and nations all over the world. Don't stop. Don't stop giving. Don't stop serving. Don't stop showing up as the hands and feet of Jesus. I am so glad that we don't have to wait on a politician to fix our problems, that we are the church. Everybody say, we are the church. As citizens of heaven. And I hear some people say, well, I'm just waiting on the church to show up and visit my uncle in the hospital. You are the church. Go visit your uncle and give me his name. I'll pray for him too. I think so many times we delegate the responsibility to be the church on some group of people. It's the pastor's job to do that. No, no, it's all of our job. Just waiting on somebody to call my friend who's suicidal, who just needs some counsel. Be the church. Call her. Call him. Pray for him. Give me their name. I'll have one of our team pastors call them too. But in the meantime, what if we all started taking personal responsibility to change our nation? Well, Paul, she's got to get an abortion. She can't raise that baby. Let us know. We're going to have someone adopt that baby. We're going to bring that baby into a home. We're going to give that baby a mommy and a daddy. We're going to start changing things in our nation by taking personal responsibility. Well, I just wish that we, that the government would feed the poor. No, the church is going to do that. 10.9 million meals to feed the hungry in America right now. I'm not waiting on some party to fix the problems in our nation. We are the party. We are the church. We are the platform. We are believers, citizens of heaven. Number six, engage in every opportunity to advance the gospel message forward. Citizens of heaven, engage in every opportunity. There's some people who go, well, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to stay home because everybody's flawed and I don't want to vote for anybody because they're all flawed. And then God says, no, I placed you strategically in Cambodia for such a time as this. I placed you strategically in Virginia and Oklahoma and Texas and California for such a time as this. And as a believer, you have a responsibility to be a citizen of heaven in your city, your state, and your nation. You have a chance to use your voice so that 20 years from now, your kids have a church to go to. In 1917, the Orthodox Church in Russia was meeting. True story. 1917, the Orthodox Church of Russia had a meeting, and it lasted several weeks. It was all about the theology of their church. And they argued and debated what their theology was going to be. On the last day of this meeting, they had an argument over the color of their robes, and it was heated. It lasted 10 hours. They were arguing, should the robes be purple or should they be white? And here they are arguing about robes for 10 hours. And five blocks down the street from this Orthodox Church was a young man named Vladimir Lenin who sat in a room with four other guys, 
And he began to talk about Karl Marx and how Marx had just really gotten into his mindset. And he said, we got to bring Marxism into Russia and we got to take our nation and we got to change our nation. Five blocks from this Orthodox church that's arguing over robes. Within months, Lenin took over Russia, overthrew the entire party that was there, brought communism in, socialism, Marxism. For 70 years, he made the country an atheist country outlawed Christianity, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech was gone overnight. Kids whose parents were arguing over robes would weep 20 years from then as they stood in lines waiting for soup, trying to figure out what happened to their church while parents were arguing over robes. A nation was being deceived, divided, and, and completely destroyed for 70 years. I was there in 1992 when my mom and dad went to Russia, the Iron Curtain, I guess, whatever, it fell, and the whole nation opened up to the gospel. We watched as a million people gave their lives to Christ in 1992 in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I asked my dad and mom, I said, why are people so hungry for the gospel here? They're weeping, they're crying, acting like they've never had this before. And my dad said, they've never had it before. They're finally, their country is finally open to the gospel. And they are so ready for what Jesus can do in their life. They have been waiting for this. I said, what happened? He said, for 70 years, church was outlawed. They were an atheist country. If we're not careful in America, we will be arguing over masks. I mean, robes. <laughs> while a nation goes down the tube. And 20 years from now, our kids will ask, what happened to victory? What happened to the churches here? What happened to the freedom of speech? What happened to the freedom of religion? It's not just about Christianity, any religion in our country. Our nation is at a pivotal moment, and I am praying right now for America. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the church at large. I'm praying that we will see past the agendas and that we will dig deep into the word of God and say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? Number seven, citizens of heaven trust God in every season, no matter what. So I'm going to, I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to vote, but I'm going to show up to church next week. And whether we have church in the parking lot or we're on the rooftop or I'm in a scissor lift or we're in this room, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to put our trust in God, no matter what happens. We have best days in front of us because Jesus is on the throne. And I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. And when I know who holds my future, and I heard a song when I was a little boy that my mom and dad taught me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the in his, he's got the. And if that's true, then no matter what goes on, I can stand on a firm foundation. I can trust that God is with me, that God has gone ahead of me and he goes behind me. And I can trust as a believer that my best days are in front of me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? I remember in 2012, 2013, we were going through a really tough time in, in the church and financially we had to make some tough decisions. We, we went through this time and it was, it was very hard for me personally because there was families who, who left the church during that time and there was people that we had to lay off and, and then we were, there was conversations going on. How are we going to be able to keep the dream center going? How are we going to keep the camp going? The church was underwriting all these different areas and, and we were going through a time where it was just difficult. It wasn't it was, no one, no one's fault. It was just a tough time. Even in our nation, the economy was in a, a tough time during those years. And, and I remember through that time, just praying with my mom and, and, and then praying with others. And there would be tears saying, just trust God's got this. God's got this. 2014, my mom said, it's time for you to step in as pastor of the church. I remember stepping in and the finances didn't really change. And um, I, I was worried. I was worried about the future of our, our school, our dream center, our camp. I was worried about whether we could help minister to other nations, missionaries. And, and stress was just overtaking me. This man comes and meets with me. He said, I left your church a while ago, but I'm willing to come back. 
And I have enough money to fund everything in your heart for the whole future of the church. And he did. And he said, all I ask is that you do this, this, and this. And I heard God whisper in my heart, is your allegiance to man or is it to me? Are you going to let man control the future of the church? Or are you going to let me? And I heard God say, trust in me. Don't trust in man's riches. Our trust is in the Lord, not in chariots, not in horses, not in presidents or princes or governments or leaders. Our trust is in the Lord. And so I looked at the man and I said, sir, I can't do that unless God asks me to do it. And he said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. He said, okay. He said, because I'll give you one more chance. If you're willing to do this, I'll come back and I'll help you. But if not, I'm not coming back to your church. And I was thinking about it. I was like, Lord, we could really use his help right now. God said, no, 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 trust me. So I looked at him. I said, we're going to miss you, sir. And he said, okay. I was waiting for cameras to come out saying, you passed the test. Here's a million dollars. The church is going to make it. That never happened. A year went by and finances hadn't changed. And I was just asking God, are you sure you got this? And he was saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways and I will direct your paths. That next year, a man came up to me and said, I wasn't here when your dad was pastor. I wasn't here when your mom was pastor. I came in the last couple of years that you stepped in. I just want you to know I've been watching how you've grown. You fear God more than you fear man, and I can see it. And when you fear God, you fear nothing else. And I just want you to know God has your back. And I got a check waiting for you. Just have someone go pick it up from my office. When he went to go pick it up, it was the largest check in the history of our church, over a million dollars to help fund the future of the Dream Center, the Bible College, the school, Camp Victory, the church, the youth group, the next thing God called us to do. And he said, don't put your hope in me because I'll probably be gone in the next year. Sure enough, he was gone. He said, keep your trust in the Lord. God's got you. I just feel to say this to someone in the room who's stressed and worried right now. And I know that the, the, the news stirs up anxiety. The news stirs up anxiety. What's going to happen with elections? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with COVID-19? What's going to happen with my scholarship? What's going to happen with my job? We need to get our trust back in the Lord. He will be a sure foundation for your times. He will be a sure foundation for your times. He is your peace and your refuge. He's your security and your fortress. He goes before you and behind you. He is with you no matter who's in office. He was not voted in and he cannot be voted out. He sits above the circle of the earth. He is supreme. He is the head of the church. And today, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes all over this place. If you're here right now and you just have been battling some anxiety, some worry, maybe the enemy's been trying to distract you, to discourage you, to get you confused in this time, and you just need to get your mind back on the Lord, your heart back on the Lord, your trust back in the Lord. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this room. I just feel to pray for people all over the room that just need to put your trust in the Lord about your relationship, your marriage, your health, your finances, our nation. Some of you, God's calling you to pray right now for America, to pray right now for certain things going on in your family and your finances, in your job, in your school. I want to invite those of you that raised your hands or you just want to come down to the altar today and surrender in prayer. Will you leave your seat? Come and join me right now. If you just want to surrender something to the Lord, you just need to put your trust in the Lord. Come and join me at the altar. Let's cheer on brave men, brave women today. You're making a declaration. And you're saying, I trust in you, Lord. I lean not to my own understanding. I release the fear about the future. I release the anger that I had towards people. I'm choosing to forgive some people who've hurt me. I want to pray for people today that you just need to forgive someone. You need to release forgiveness towards someone. You need to maybe even need to forgive a president, a leader. You need to forgive some pastors, some people in your life. You're saying, man, I need to surrender that. I need to surrender that grudge, that bitterness. It's not good for me. It's poisoning me. I need to give that to God today. I need to release that to the Lord today. I want us just to take a few minutes to just worship and pray. And I sense we need to just stir up our hope and our prayer right now for our nation and for what God's called us to do as a church. So let's just close our eyes. Let's just begin to worship right now. Let's begin to pray right now. Let's begin to stir up in this place just a spirit of prayer and a trust in the Lord right now. Yeah. With everything, Lord, with everything, Lord, if you need to come to the altar today to repent, come and join us at the altar today. If you need to get right with God today, come and join us at the altar today.
pray right now, God, for our nation. We pray right now, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we trust in you. We lean not to our own understanding. God, we acknowledge that you are the head of the church. You are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords with everything, God. Lord, we want to surrender it all to you.
above everything in our world, God. We above every problem that we face, Lord. Sing, we exalt thee. We exalt thee. We exalt thee. We exalt thee. Is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And our God is an awesome God. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns, and our God is an awesome God. Is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns. Yeah. 
sense in my heart to repent for our nation you know our nation's not perfect and we all know that there's a lot of sin that's happened in our nation even in the last four years in my heart I, as we were worshiping I just felt like God was saying if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways repent of their sins I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. God is our only hope for America. God is our only hope for the world. Whatever nation you're watching from right now, every nation needs Jesus. And he calls us to repent. So Lord, I repent right now on behalf. Lord, I just repent right now for my sins, for the sins of our nation. God, the sins of hurtful words that have been spoken, hurtful things that have been done. God, the murders that have happened in our nation, the crime, God, the strife, the division, the quarreling. God, we know that it grieves your heart to see a nation treating each other disrespectfully, mean, God, dishonoring. Lord, it breaks your heart to know what's happened in our nation, the immorality, God, the loss of a moral compass, the loss of, of knowing who we are, the confusion amongst so many people and the confusion in homes and families and genders and marriages. God, we repent for the sins that have happened in our nation, whether in action or in speech or in thought, God. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask you to cleanse us, God, to heal our nation. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name to use this church and churches across the world, God, to bring healing to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to bring ministry, reconciliation. Lord, between races, where there's been racism and prejudice, where there's been just hurtful things said and done in the name of Christ that is not your spirit, we repent. And God, we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would bring healing. Let justice flow like a river. Let righteousness rise in our nation. Let hope arise in our nation. Let peace come to our nation. Healing, God. Healing in Jesus' name. Healing sickness and disease and healing broken hearts. Healing broken homes. Healing minds that have been demented and confused. Bringing hope, God. Bringing grace to people, God, who feel ashamed and guilty for their sin. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name, God, for revival. Revival, revival, revival. Lord, help us to tear down the strongholds that the enemy has tried to build up. God, help us to bring, Lord, your salvation like King Josiah did in his time. Revival, God, in our nation. And Lord, I thank you. Let it start in us personally. Let it start in me, God. Let it start in this house. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep our eyes, our hearts fixed on you. Even this week, God, no matter what happens on Tuesday, Lord, or Wednesday, or this month, or next month, God, that our hope and our trust is in you. Our foundation is secure in you. Just say this with me. Jesus, I'm all yours. I repent of sin, and I receive your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I choose to live surrendered to your will for my life, your agenda, not mine, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Use me, Lord Jesus, to be a witness right where I live to bring you glory in what I do and in what I say. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. Thank you for staying long today to worship and pray. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.